better. Like, uh, actually, I never got that much better at Super Ghosts and Ghouls, but I did get a lot better at a lot of those, like, difficult platformers and reflex-based games from the SNES era to where I could com- play and complete most of them. But it, it, it took my brain catching up with my body. Uh, or my body catching up with my brain, and now I feel like I'm on, the, I'm I'm on the decline already. Kyle, with you being concerned about the ravages of age, I have to shoehorn this into an introduction and gimmick, which is first of all, hi, I'm Nick, and I'm Kyle, and you're listening to a little show we call the Big Bang Theory. Theory. Uh, sometimes we discuss the television show The Big Bang Theory. More often, we talk about things we actually enjoy or things that we wish we could enjoy, such as uh, mech games that have all sorts of mechanics that are just too goddamned much. And I, um, Kyle, heads up, this is probably going to require a little post-editing magic, but um, I turned 40 last week, and um, in the past I have said how I had a dentist in L.A. who every year on my birthday would leave me a voice message. Right, I remember, and I couldn't believe it. And I wondered if, um, I was past that period, but... Oh. Can you hear this at all? I can hear it vaguely, yes. Phone number 32391. Okay, this is where some editing is going to have to happen here. Duration 20 seconds. Hi, Nicholas. This is Dentist Lim. Happy birthday to you. We hope that you're having a good time. Enjoy your birthday. Blessings to you and keep flossing. We'll see you again. Bye now. End of message. I haven't lived in L.A. in four years. Dr. Lim is still making sure I'm flossing. It's real. Yeah, I was concerned because earlier the same day I got an automated email and I was like, oh... Such is the end of the friendly limb era. But no, no. Hey, I'm 40. I, I was uh, scared about entering this decade. But goddamn Dr. Lim still cradles me in his loving arms. And so uh, thank you, Dr. Lim. Um, and yes, it is real. It's, I, I didn't, this is one of, those, one of the few things about my life I haven't created. It's just a thinly veiled means of making myself feel better about my loneliness. Dr. Lim is there. Um, now, without a better transition, or, you know what, so, Kyle, hey, I'm going to be a little more transparent about the show than normal. This episode stunk. We'll talk about anything else we can. I don't know. Maybe you liked it. We can go back to talking about mechs. I can keep going about Dr. Lim, but, ah, oh, this one, I mean, you know, I didn't hate it. It's just another one of those ones. It just kind of, like, rinsed right off my brain. It was, I watched it, like, two hours ago, and... Ah, oh, I don't know. Just not engaging. I don't what's... Oh, also, before I... I Get too carried away. This episode is season seven, episode uh, seventeen. The friendship turbulence. In short summary, Bernadette tries to decrease the amount of friction in Howard and Sheldon's friendship, while Penny's car breaks down and she is afraid she has to go back to work at the Cheesecake Factory. Kyle, your thoughts? Uh, Penny needs to go back to work at the Cheesecake Factory. Da 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 dun. But does that happen, Kyle? No, it doesn't because Leonard bails her out. Like the, oh, I almost made, I almost used a phrase that I was going to use it ironically, but I realized we're two men making a podcast, so there's no way. Uh oh. I cannot. There's Uh-oh. no combination of the word soy boy cuck that I could use in a sentence that people would know I was joking 
Uh, Wait, so were you going to use something that wasn't Soy Boy Cut? Because now that no, we're talking about exactly it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, hey, man, you should have gone for it. I mean, here we are. I, you, hey, well, just let's go back five seconds. We're talking Soy Boy Cucks now. It's out there. What are you going to do about it? Kyle, what were you going to say? I was just going to say Leonard bails her out when she has car trouble, like the Soy Boy Soy cut Boy stereotype cu- he is. Ah! Oh, okay, so two things about this. One, yeah, he absolutely is. Two, why do you say that in this sitch? I mean, he's the, he's he's got the, the fancy stable job. I mean, I guess he could leave his girlfriend totally hanging. He could loan her money. That'd be great. What What is your, your take on this? I don't, it's just like... Oh, by the way, yeah, is the, the episode summary, it's they're driving along. They're kind of having some sort of not-go-anywhere relationship fights, um, and then Penny's car breaks down, and she panics because she's like, oh, God, I have no money and no job, hence back to the Cheesecake Factory. But yes, as we're talking, Leonard does bail her out, and then Kyle. No, I guess now that you say it, the more I go on about this, the more I feel like an asshole. Oh, oh, I have morally... I've shooken... I've wagged the finger. Kyle, please, don't... Don't feel ashamed. It's just like... They don't have, I mean, here's the thing. If I felt like they had a generally healthy relationship, then yes, him buying a car would not be that. But name me like three positive things about Penny and Leonard's relationship that are not dependent on her now being slightly financially dependent on him to survive. They seem to have a satisfying enough sexual chemistry. Do, do they? Do they? Because, like, half of the joke, like, there was literally a recurring gag. Oh, Jesus, Kyle. Of all the episodes for me to say that. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yes, you are right. Okay, so strike that. No, he, he is aware that he maybe doesn't perform or she just doesn't, whatever. Yeah, so not a good example. Um, I mean, maybe, you know, people make ironic comment. He could be, he's probably making a joke, right? But yes, it is ill timing in this episode that right before he reveals he's buying her a car, she's like, uh, let's just get this over with. And he's like, wow, are we, are we going somewhere or are we just about to have sex? Well, now I'm in this really uncomfortable space where I am imagining him just trying to blast her and, you know, whether my my imagination allows for him to be good at it or not, uh, you know, off the top of my head, he's doing a pretty good job. Yeah, I don't know. She seems happy with it in my mind. So, uh, but yeah, it's you're right that the, the dynamic is weird, but I don't know. It's it's one of those things that and in this episode, this whole episode revolves around her turning down a career opportunity without even talking with him about it first, which absolutely I want to go on record. You are not required to discuss like your career plans with you. You don't have to get anyone else's approval for how you live your life. But if they're in a partnership, you know, that's sort of like the fact that she'd already made the decision and he would have counseled her differently, but she already did it by the time she even gets around to telling him about it and really only tells him and everyone else is like an afterthought. You know, just implies there's not good communication here. So you have a, so I know I'm overanalyzing this, but you have a relationship where there's no real communication or sense of like actual and like intimacy or enjoyment between them. And now he's buying her a car. Maybe you're overanalyzing, but you're not wrong. And that's what we do on this show. The only caveat I will add is that the, the part she turned down was to play some sort of costumed gorilla type rad part it it sounded like a ab tell me about 
I'm going to summer. Tell me this doesn't sound like a great role. She plays in. So first off, it, she was in a movie called Serial Apist. Okay. So that's fun. Well, no, that's, that's where I was going to try to end is that Kyle, this is the sequel to a movie called Serial Apist that she was considering. That's, yes, thus is the caveat, one, but please go on. One, though, in that one, she died 40 minutes into the film, right? She was just, you know, one of the Scream Queen girls who's not even a Scream Queen. She's more like, because she, I don't think she was. It depends on whether girl. she whipped him out. It, they, they make it sound like you get to see her, her boobs while she's showering. But Scream I'm Queen. Sure. Yeah, okay. But anyway, so she is just there to titillate the audience right before she gets murdered by this this sexually crazed gorilla in the first movie um but which is yeah kind of a humiliating part but in this one she was going to be uh she was going to be a main character she was actually going to headline the film she was going to be the monster and they were going to show her face she was going to be a clone of her character from the first movie whose dna had gotten mixed in with that of the killer gorilla so she was going to be herself except she would have crazy gorilla hands and feet and would be compelled by her gorilla urges to murder people and tell me you wouldn't watch that movie tell me that's not a recipe for a cult classic movie that she just turned down I, I maintain that for her, I can understand why this would be a difficult decision. Yet, you prey upon knowing me and my tastes. Because, yeah, I'd watch that shit, absolutely. Not, not only, but it's not that it would... Okay, uh, I, I also prey upon you. I bet you know this. Fun fun uh, trivia question for, for a low-stakes trivia night. What was the first role Jennifer Aniston ever played in a movie? Uh... Was, I don't know if it was her first role or not, but she, she was in, like, Leprechaun. You're goddamn right she was in Leprechaun, one of the dumbest movies ever made. Did it impact her? Do we say that Jennifer Aniston has had a bad career in Hollywood? No. I mean, she continues to refuse to acknowledge her participation in that film, but she's done well for herself. Yes. So, I... I mean, it's funny, because I feel like they had this exact... This exact same subplot, I think, uh, and for all I know, it wouldn't surprise me if in a subsequent episode it turns out that she ends up taking this role and they have fun with it, but, uh, like, something changes. But this exact same subplot, if I recall correctly, was in Shit's Creek, where Moira Rose has to, uh, has to, like, revitalize her career by going and starring in some weird... With the Crow-demic something, or... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or the crowing or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Some terrible Eastern European horror movie about, you know, sentient crows that are attacking people. And, you know, the whole point there is, you know, a good actress can elevate any material into a charismatic and watchable performance. So really, it's not that Penny, uh, Penny just doesn't have enough faith in herself. I feel like if you gave Daniel Day-Lewis that opportunity, well, he might not take it, but I feel like if you somehow could hold Daniel Day-Lewis's family at gunpoint, he would say, I'm sorry, I'm method acting right now. I don't recognize them as my family. Anyway, if you could somehow get through and make him play the gorilla man, he would turn in such a compelling and hypnotic performance as Daniel Day-Lewis, the the gorilla hybrid monster, that, you know, it, it could turn... You know, another great example of this, a little movie that, uh, you know, launched Jeff Goldblum into the stratosphere called David Cronenberg's The Fly... This happens all the time. She's just not. She's just spitting in the face. Of I mean, I, I again her own artistic prospects. I, I am. I'm going to to boldly assume quite the distinction between 
David Cronenberg's The Fly, and Serial Apist 2. But I think you're still right that if she were to take the job, I mean, at the very least, you know, she complains so much about being a struggling actor that just working and building and, yeah, turning in that the guy performance, like that's, she's being... God, you know, I really don't like the saying beggars can't be choosers, but that's where Penny is. She's not doing much. And whatever it is, I bet it paid decent, not great, but yeah. Uh, Wouldn't have made her financially dependent on her boyfriend who keeps asking her to marry him, but she doesn't feel comfortable. But the next time he pops that ring out, boy, is she going to be thinking about how she wouldn't have a car right now if it wasn't for him, will she? And if I were a science nerd or any similar nerd, which is to say, were I myself, and I am... Uh, what if she were to become the next sort of like Barbara Crampton type? Oh, I would love to be shacked up to a Barbara Crampton type. That'd be wonderful. Just continuing to do spooky, schlocky movies where, you know, she does occasionally, as I, I mentioned before, whip him out. But, I mean, come on. That's a great career can be made around that. Penny, yeah, that yeah would, I'm on your you, side you now. Eat. God damn it. You can eat. Uh, that's, yeah, it was just... It just seemed like a weird I, – I do know. I guess I will acknowledge. I'll play my own devil's advocate. People have gotten their careers like stuck by taking these kinds of roles. But usually the context is pretty specific. It's not clear what they were going to do anyway. The main one I can think about is apparently uh, you know, not your favorite Friday uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but the one everybody acknowledges is a pretty fun watch, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Oh, oh yeah. Are we talking about our main character here? In, in uh, Freddy well, the main too. character of every Nightmare okay. Oh, is protagonist? Freddy. What the fuck do you want me to say? The guy the movie is about that is not the boogeyman? Yes, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but anyway, apparently that movie was so, like, yeah, everybody saw that and was like, oh, okay, so this guy is gay and he only wants to be in, he only stars in weird queer-coded horror movie exploitation flicks, so we're not going to give him any other parts. At least that's what he alleges happened to him in Hollywood after he was in that movie, which... Uh, that is indeed what he alleges. <laughs> I mean, I don't, that, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that I uh, know enough about the 80s and early 90s Hollywood to say that there wasn't a lot of gay panic in Hollywood. It seems weird to me that you would have trouble as a gay man in Hollywood getting a job, but apparently that was actually the case. I I think that that it created less of a stink of gay panic that film did than it did just a stink of not being a good movie. It's, I don't know, I, I wish I liked that film more. But I think that's the bigger issue. I think that's why they had to bring Wes Craven back in for the third one. Is that second one was a real mess. I don't. I don't think anyone else, you know, shot up to stardom um, or was denied a career because of their participation in that. In spite of uh, yes, the the queer codedness. Yes, it's true. Robert England, obviously, nothing happened. He like he was like, I can just keep making more of these. That's fine. Yeah, you know, it's. I was about to say, oh, you know, I'm kind of wish he's somebody who branched out. I don't care. I'm glad he's been Freddy my whole life. You know, that works fine. It's the working for him. The only other role I know for sure that he was ever in is he played... I mean, I'm sure he's had other bit parts before, much like uh, Penny could have if she had taken this role. But uh, the only role I know for sure that uh, he was ever in outside of uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and cameos referencing his role in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies is um, he played, there was this movie, this made-for-TV Disney movie called The Paper Brigade about a kid 
who oh. was trying to make money by starting up a uh, you know a paper route in a really it's just a really zany neighborhood, guys. So it's actually really hard to he has to really be on his game to run his paper route. And one of the things that makes his job hard is there is a crazy you know ex I, I think he's basically coded as like the crazy ex Vietnam vet. Um, who who lives like down the street and attacks with booby traps anyone who tries to step on his porch um and he's definitely not a child murderer (laughs) yes and that guy was also robert england i i completely forgotten about that movie entirely or that he was in it and then you mentioned paper brigade and it just rushed back into my mind yeah him it's it's fun i get like either in real life the, the, the person that attacks children with, with the traps and such. I guess that, yeah, you're right. To me, that's a completely different role. But when you put it like that, yes, he's still the crazy guy terrorizing a bunch of children, isn't he? Well, yeah, because either, you know, he knows the kids, it's a game, they're ready for it. That's not what happens in the paper brigade exactly. No, he, he is trying to... Uh, prevent passage against an invading threat and yeah that is terrifying the old the old kooky man that might like try to murder you or at the very least fuck up your ride your sick ride uh i recommend the paper brigade i don't really remember it but i enjoy this feeling we're having this nostalgic feeling okay kyle that's the end of the episode thanks um (laughs) very good very good I don't know. Anything else about the actual episode, though? Did you did you talk about the... I can't even remember. Did you talk about the weird B-plot with Raj at all? Did we I haven't care? talked about anything. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the B-plot, yeah, which is is fine. Um, or I Raj, guess that's the C-plot. Cause it the, is more of the C-plot, because B-plot is Sheldon and Wallowitz, yeah. The only the only thing that was interesting about that, I guess, other than the fact that they, well, two things are interesting about it. The first is, it it's part of the like, I just wish the show would pick a lane about Sheldon because, like, some episodes they're like we're gonna try to humanize this guy and make him seem more like a likable protagonist, and then some episodes they're just like, no, nobody would ever be friends with this guy. Are you crazy? And this is definitely one of the latter episodes where it's just like Wallowitz makes a lot of good faith efforts to try to uh, get Sheldon on board with him, and uh, yeah, Sheldon is just really, really just like incredibly awful i mean in funny way well in he's being sassy he's not trying to buy in in the slightest but no i mean most brutally he he's like why won't you just you you never acknowledge that i was an astronaut and i think it's because you were jealous and he's like well i do admit when i was a boy uh i idolized astronauts and all i ever wanted was to be one and so seeing you get to go to space uh really sort of was hard for me beat 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 because i realized they just take anybody and it's like that is not that is the kind if 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 sheldon didn't have like his whole personality if that were like the first thing he had ever been introduced saying to someone and like the pilot of the show you've been like oh so this guy's the bad guy in this yeah he's he's the he's the he's the end he's the bully that all of the rest of them are you know coming up with ways to destroy and i totally understand if they committed to having Kripke as any sort of regular enemy, that would be a dunk that he should deliver. Right. Instead, yeah, I just have to deal with Sheldon. I mean, I think I think that one is a slam dunk, but yeah, it does not make a good case for 
Sheldon putting good faith effort into the friendship where you're right, Wallowitz actually is trying and no bueno. But then, oh man, turbulence on an airplane. They're in an airplane. I don't even remember why, Kyle. They're, they're going They're going to uh, Texas to visit NASA because oh, right. the one thing he can, he can impress Sheldon with is the fact that he can get him a tour of NASA. And also, this does make sense. It's near where Sheldon's family lives. So Sheldon yes. can visit his family at the same time Wallowitz is taking his NASA trip. But... You know, I guess this is, is again a very thoughtful gesture. No, it is lovely, and yeah, Sheldon uh, at, at no point appears uh, grateful in the slightest. Um, and there starts to be some turbulence. Wallowitz is like, "Oh, oh, oh I can't have a little turbulence, eh, Sheldon?" But then, of course, it gets worse, and they're both holding hands and making kind of "Are we gonna die?" confessions, which don't lead to anything more than, "Oh, I guess I could have, should have tried harder," etc. Uh, and they, they're at the end. They're kind of like, yeah, I guess we're pals. We we'll keep holding hands. Ha ha, no gay. Like it's fine. I don't know. Um, anything else on B plot? The only other thing I thought was even remotely interesting was uh, Wallowitz is like, I got this whole idea to get along with Sheldon because Bernadette, uh, you know, pointed out that we've been friends a long time and we should try to make it work. And I think she said some other stuff, but at that point she took her bra off, and I don't really. I couldn't really hear anything after that. And so, which that, that is actually, that checks out. There, there is, yeah, a running gag in this episode, which I'll admit I do like about how, yeah, Bernadette's breasts just wipe anyone's mind of words. Uh, and someone says that to her and she does get a little proud smile and wiggle. And so I enjoyed that. Um, but then, yeah, C plot. Uh, Raj uh, is trying to date again, I guess. Amy helps him. They find a lady, and the lady is like, mm, you know what, he seems nice, but it's kind of weird that he had to go through a third party to ask me out, so I'm not into it. Uh, but apparently what happens is uh, this lady and Amy follow up for, you know, a date, maybe a friend hang, who knows, uh, because we never get to see where it goes. Raj shows up, and he's like, hey, guess what? I'm just gonna not acknowledge it all that I look like a total maniac having busted in on this private encounter between these two people that I had no idea I was gonna be here. By the way, lady, I heard that you don't like that I'm so passive. Well, guess what I'm not? Here I am. And she's like, I gotta blow this popsicle stand. And I really thought there was gonna be some sort of joke about how Raj managed to ruin a date that he wasn't a part of. But no, Amy really just, just seemed kind of sad. Was she emotionally cheating on Sheldon? What was this? I mean, I think women do, well... No, they don't have friends. I've never seen it. <laughs> no, particularly they do this thing when, they re when they're feeling low, where they, uh, as opposed to men who, who just allow the isolation and sense of... Uh, sense of loneliness to slowly cripple them over years and years without ever reaching out. I know I've seen, I know several women who I've just seen them. They're like, this sucks. And then they go out and try to like actively make friends in a process that does look very analogous to dating, you know, finding people who have, you know, similar interests to you that you can do things with. It's just, I've seen many I, people do it. I know someone who made friends on what is effectively a friend finding slash not actually dating website uh, or app. Um, and while I kind of find that insane, it worked. They're good friends now. Hooray for that. Uh, so, yeah, I guess, you know, I've never seen it. I still refuse to believe it, but your theory holds water, Kyle. 
Yeah, it's but you're right. It is a little weird that it's a little weird if only because it starts with, uh, you know, I'm trying to get my friend to date and then ends with them. But that actually, again, I thought, well, not not on this show. It doesn't have to be realistic like this. But in real life, that would be like, okay, we're not friends anymore, dude. Right. It's like it's like, you know, I was. You know, oh, just, moving in on your target. Well, just just acting like a psycho, a complete psychopath, and embarrassing you like that in front of a in front of anyone you ever wanted to make a good impression on. You'd just be like, nah, that's that's it, game over. That is one of those things that is very cute in a sitcom. Where in real life, you definitely have to be like, at some point, we have to set a new boundary, Rosh. Yes. It's, I'm here to be your friend, and I love and support you, but you can't fuck up me fucking, okay? Sheldon's not supposed to know about this. This was my secret date. We were totally going to do weird uh, nose-in-the-butthole stuff, uh, and you ruined that yet again, Rajesh. I mean, you're right. I guess I was treating this like it's entirely innocent, but Amy is basically canonically bisexual, judging from how she talks about Penny. And also, we actually, you know, that remind we haven't seen that in a while. I guess they just ran out of, because I'm sure it's not that they evolved some sort of consciousness about it. I guess they just ran out of jokes uh, for uh, to tell about how. Um, Amy is constantly sexually harassing Penny. Do you remember that? I didn't imagine. There was that. a period that was where... A, that was, there yeah. were a lot of episodes around that. No, it's as Wallowitz is getting less creepy, she really started to take the forefront, and Penny seemed to be a target, uh, an outlet for her sexless relationship with Sheldon. And that, I think, is actually why I anticipate... Like, that's why I read into this, the horniness is that, you know, I don't like to think she's a cheater. I don't think she has it in her heart. I think she loves Sheldon. But, I mean, her whole character is like, hey, I'm a nerd, uh, I'm a little awkward, and good lord, I can't wait to get fucked. I can't believe how long it is taking for me to get fucked. I have options. There are other things I could do. I don't even like this friend group that much, because guess what? The other hot one, she's not fucking me either. But boy, oh boy, I'm just leaning into this. And so, yeah, to see her with anybody else, I'm like, there has to be a horny inclination here. But that is me, you know, maybe not giving her enough layers, not remembering that she's also just a person who maybe wants friends. Nah, you brought me around on that one. That was totally like a honey trap situation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay, now we're back on track. All right, now I think we've talked about everything that needs to be talked about in this godforsaken episode. All right, cool. I'm glad you got there uh, before I did, because I'm ready to move on as well. And so, Kyle, uh, I have one main recommendation and a couple dumb ones. How do you, Okay, so my dumb ones are, I keep looking for excuses to play Bloodborne again. Guess what? It's October. It's spooky. I'm playing Bloodborne. I'm also playing Stardew Valley, because it's cozy and comfy. Those are my stupid recommendations. I'm aware I've recommended them before, and this would be the fifth time. It's not just brain damage this time. I just really <laughs> fucking love those games. Um... And then the other thing I'm recommending, I think is technically a re-recommend, but I can't remember if you recommended it or if we just talked about it earlier this week. I finally watched Shin Godzilla. and oh, that was my recommendation. That's what I thought, what yeah. What did you think? Well, it is now an official double recommend. Uh, that movie rules. It's, you know, I... So I think one mistake I made, which I did lean into, is... I, I rented it on YouTube. I, I didn't pay any attention. I did get the English dub version. 
Uh, and so... I'm sure that brought some nostalgia back to watching Godzilla movies when you were a kid. Well, Kyle, it absolutely did. So much so that I was actually wondering for, like, the first 20 minutes of the movie, like, whether that was the official original... Like, like whether that uh, English translation was so goofy and well-known that for the Shin Godzilla remake, they're like, nope, English dub is the official version. Uh <laughs> But then I just figured out I didn't have any subtitle options and kind of, you know, got a little disappointed. But I was able to lean into it. But something that, um, I think two things that really stood out. One that I was kind of surprised by is how, at first, it seems like it, to me anyway. Oh, and by the way, obviously you've recommended this before, but just quick refresher is this is indeed a Godzilla movie, but it is less about... Godzilla per se than it is about the people uh, trying to cut, well, not just cut through, but like navigate the bureaucracy of higher level Tokyo and Japanese government and having to work with national allies. And not even that, but, you know, gets down to the actual grand ground power required for different operations and things like that. And so everything is presented in this very much uh, yeah, like bureaucratic, almost, I don't know, like people are treated like inventory in a way, aside from your big leaders, but not in a cynical way. Like that's the thing that oh, this is actually what I was going to say was surprising to me is how uh, inspiring I thought it all was. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's like, go mid-level bureaucrat, go. Well, yeah, Get it's data to the National Science Council. This well, is it's the key to everything. It's so schlocky, but near the end of it, like. Just the way that people are organized in, for instance, uh, like the the montage footage of them swapping hoses and how everything down to the how quickly they could swap hoses had to be planned. I'm like, God damn, that did take a lot of organizational skill. Those maniacs. Um, and then the other thing uh, that I, I really uh, thought was a fun time about it. I am blanking on because I got so excited about the first part and the the loving the bureaucracy. Is that <laughs> but how spooky and weird Godzilla is? Uh, so I was surprised by that, and that definitely stands out. That's something where, yeah, uh, he is continuously evolving throughout. Uh, and at first, I wasn't even sure it was Godzilla. I thought it was going to be, oh, we think this is Godzilla, false flag. This is just the monster that Godzilla is going to have to come fight. No. Yeah, he's just a weird-looking, goofy fish guy. And even then, I was concerned that um, it wasn't going to be a serious film. And I guess that's actually the thing I kind of forgot and swing back around to is, at first, I was reading it almost as if it was going to become some sort of satire about how, you know, here Godzilla comes, and how ridiculous is it that we have to get through three different levels of clearance and go physically to four different offices across the city to have all of these ad hoc meetings to deal with a fucking Godzilla. Uh, but it's not a satire at all. No, it is played earnestly. Um, and I wish I had the better vocabulary to describe this, but uh, it is all live action. But there's something about it, how it is nonetheless, I think, shot like an anime. I don't know. Maybe there's something about really focusing um, in on people's eyes as they're making important decisions and then cutting to 30 or 40, uh, you know, random normies as they're, as they're about to throw themselves to their deaths or whatever. It's, 
I, I can't quite describe it, but uh, anyway. Well, uh, I think you. I think you know this part, but and maybe just haven't. Mentioned oh, I do it. know this part. Yes, but you. You actually. You'd be better to say so. Yeah, it's. Uh, it wasn't directed by, but it was basic. It was written and planned by. Uh, by. Um, oh my God! What's the guy's name? Oh no! Well, I actually have it somewhere here in front of me. Uh, Hideaki Anno. Yes. Yeah, Hideaki Anno, who created Evangelion. So it has big. It has big. Uh, you know, not late episode Evangelion, but it has big early episode Evangelion energy in terms of, yeah, you know, like half that show in the early episodes is just watching the people in the control room plan their response to, like, the different angels and coordinate, like, military and logistical stuff. Um, and then, yes, it was directed by his buddy, who is apparently, like, a longtime old school, like, Godzilla special effects guy. Um, well with their combination i think really nailed it it's something where this didn't affect the movie at all is this i it took me two nights to watch it usually it's not even like a long movie i just guess we started it too late one night or something or maybe maybe this would be a caveat is that all of the administrative scenes wore me down and i needed two sessions or whatever but in any case um i was fucking pumped watching it like as they're all coming together and trying to like actually <laughs> figure out their plan. It's just, I don't know. It's, I, I'm doing a really bad job of describing, uh, the, the feel, describe. but yeah, it's a very unique vibe. Um, and I will also say, I think I mentioned this too, but, uh, if you like that one, you should, Nick, you should check out, uh, Shin Ultraman. That's Man. next on the list. I, we have absolutely, I remember talking about that relatively recently, um, and I'll yeah, honest, it doesn't have quite the same magic to me, but it's still quite good. Uh, I'm down to check it out. Yeah, I remember. Uh, if I do remember accurately, there was her significant body horror elements, which you know I just can't get enough of. Well, you know that's a good uh, that's a good segue. So I will then. Ooh, uh, ooh, baby! I will make my. Uh, I can't like 100% recommend it because I'm having a hard time getting to the end of it just because it's so sad and weird. But I've been watching, so it's not it's not a trilogy in the sense that um, that these characters ever meet each other. Although there is talk of making some kind of crossover film now that they've all three of, the, but um, it, they're basically it's a thematic and. Uh, and even more than thematic, it's a production trilogy because it, it involves a lot of the same writers and directors. So there was Shin Godzilla, which was great. Shin mm-hmm. Ultraman, which was good. And then and the third one is Shin Kamen Rider, which in yeah. the U.S. Would be, would be Masked Rider, which I've tried several times to <laughs> see now. And it is – I will say that I can't tell – I don't think the problem is that it's bad. I think the problem is it is just the hardest property to translate to, like, an American – like, it is the one that I think most suffers from the fact that it is trying to translate uh, pretty earnestly the continuity and tropes of, like, a 1960s uh, superhero television show made in Japan for children. Um but but ostensibly, you know, I've watched about half of it now, three quarters of it, and it is interesting. It is about, yeah, it's about a a, a college age guy who uh, gets abducted by an evil organization who performs experiments on him, you know. Uh, but before they can brainwash to make him into like one of their monster warriors, but before they can, you know, finish the brainwashing, one of the 
professors or one of the scientists has, you know, a crisis of conscience and busts him out. So he has the ability to transform from a human, you know, motorcyclist into a superpowered uh, grasshopper hybrid warrior. Um, and they actually show you what that looks like. So most of the time he's wearing a, a, a stylized, you know, a motorcycle mask that has bug antenna on it but mm-hmm. they actually show you no when he activates his little like morphing belt thing if he takes off his helmet he has like you know weird insect eyes and shit so he is really a mutant um and so yeah so there's a little bit of body horror around the fact that you know every time he uses this he transforms uh but to be honest the best the the best horror just comes from the fact that he is just so when he transforms he is just so you know, violence comes so easy to him. So there's, <laughs> there's that scene. Uh, it's like, and again, it's not like super over the top. There's a scene that is, you know, anyone who's ever watched an episode of Power Rangers will recognize where, you know, there are a bunch of mooks who are attacking him and he's, you know, karate punching and kicking them. Sure. Uh, and it's it's choreographed exactly like all of those old um, shows, except that every time, you know, he he punches or kicks one of them, there's just a huge spray of blood because you know they're normal people and he is punching them with like the force of like a 10 ton hammer or something so you know their bones are breaking in their chests every time he is punching or kicking them you know and he's he can put his you know fist through one of them essentially and you can tell like when he's you know in common rider mode it doesn't bother him that much but the second he you know turns back into a human he's just like oh my god you can't stop barfing yeah um and so and so a lot of it is just about uh yeah very similar to this one was i think written and directed by hideaki Anno, and uh, it is very similar to uh evangelion in its approach to violence which is just to say like yeah it might look cool in the moment but if you were any kind of sane person then the aftermath of you you know that's an instant ticket to ptsd town p t s d town yeah ptsdt yes ptsdt indeed uh so yeah i like it's just uh it's just um it's just it's not even silly necessarily but it is it is very much the experience of like watching a comic book movie about a comic book that you have never read so there's just bits of it that like you're like i'm pretty sure this is like a callback to some monster or something from the original but i don't know who they are or what their deal is and also Mm -hmm. like um you know he's powered by like soul energy essentially or like life force energy which is again not that much sillier than any of the stuff that's in an american superhero movie but it's just like i don't quite understand the stakes of this universe because i don't you know i'm not as familiar with this um but from a from a from a live stunt perspective and a special effects perspective oh boy is it fun (laughs) If if you have any kind of uh you know appreciation for you know stunt work and special effects work done on a budget it it just it impresses a lot like there's this great fight scene between him and another person who is moving both of them are like moving at like you know basically at the speed where they're a blur to human ludicrous speed yeah and i think it i think it actually you know it looks basically it's the best like high speed sort of like kung fu fighting i've seen since the matrix it looks so much better and is so much easier to follow than like you know the man of steel fight sequences which i think were you know filmed on quadruple not even quadruple like probably a hundred times the budget so Mm -hmm. uh 
Take so, that, yeah. Zach. Yeah, I don't, it's it's not it's not bad. I hope, like I said, I think they they went through the whole trilogy of ones they were going to make now. So I don't know where they're going to go from here. But yeah, I would appreciate. Uh, you know, I kind of basically it just leaves me wishing that someone would do this, do this for America. You know, where's my? Uh, well, I was just gonna say, where's my adult? oriented remake of children's cartoons from but that's the marvel like where's my marvel cinematic universe but done without all of the irony and self-awareness and done with actual like respect for the source material and the source materials thematic intent there needs to be a vertigo film label is what has to happen yeah something along those lines where yeah marvel uh you know marvel knights or yes yes exactly um that's like uh yeah, that's a great count. You know, the closest I think we ever got to that was like the Netflix shows. Uh, the oh, Netflix yeah. Marvel shows. You know, they tried really hard. You know, particularly in the the first season of the first couple of them to be like, you know, this is how it would really, you know, this is what it would really look like and how it would really feel to be like, you know, a street level person in this world of of craziness. And uh, and then they kind of, I think, they lost the plot in like their big, you know team up movie type stuff just like all the others but you know more of that please yeah i also was like we know there are superheroes right can we stop talking about the event or you know these 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 freaks or whatever this is a world where the superheroes are i know if you can't pay to have them in this show but they exist right come on so i i didn't i had a hard time with the tv universe but also, you know, I'm notoriously shitty about the whole Marvel thing, so whatever. Um, Kyle, so... Go ahead. You know what? I have one more recommendation. I was about to say, I was going to ask if your recommendation was the, the common writer, what you're doing, so please continue. Oh, I was, this remind, I've been thinking a lot recently about... Um, I need to go back and read it, but the best mature superhero comic book series I think I ever read that wasn't trying to do any weird edgelordy bullshit mm. was the Punisher Fuck Christ. Axe. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, ironically, it's by the guy who wrote The Boys, um, but the same guy who wrote The Boys and wrote Preacher, uh, mm-hmm. he wrote like a silly Punisher story, which I think I was telling you about the other day, Nick, but he also wrote... Um, a series called Punisher Max, which was basically like, um, this is what the Punisher would be like in the real world. Like, and it was dark and it was violent, but it was also really, really good because it was basically like all of the tropes of the Punisher played straight in a way that you neither like, you, you, you both like, rooted for him but you never ever wanted to be him it was not like here's this badass uh super soldier commando solid snake dude it was like oh here is a here is a deeply broken man who never got over his experiences in vietnam and you know was always probably waiting for the one event in his life that would give him permission to become a mass shooter and it just so happened that the people who triggered that urge in him were you know monsters themselves were mobsters and criminals so we are lucky enough that he goes out and he and he um you know 
is is systematically planning out, you know, essentially domestic terror attacks against, you know, the Italian mafia or most famous, probably the best arc is the one he goes up against like a human trafficking ring that's kidnapping, you know, women in in Asia and Eastern Europe and, you know, turning them into into like drug addicted prostitutes. And Mm -hmm. he just like. You know, he just goes through those people like the wrath of God. And it's like I said, the people he's killing are so bad, you just do not feel any kind of sympathy for them at all. But at the same time, like everyone else who encounters him is like, oh, this guy is not okay. Like this guy is not somewhat like... Uh, you're, like, you're glad so he's out there, but you—he's not gonna. You're, you don't want to hang. You don't, you don't want to know him. Not, yeah, you, yeah. You would not put this guy's decal on your car. This is not like this. Like you—you you make eye contact with him too long, you start to feel, you know, a little bit dizzy, uh, you know. And so it was just—it was a really good, uh, really angry look at someone who, you know, is just like broken but his brokenness you know is useful to society in this particularly edge case well nice uh that makes me think of the the really dumb punisher movie we've talked about several times that i enjoy and how it is nothing like what you're describing and that's how i grow up and had it it's good in its own way i mean it's not like actually good it's just you know he does shoot um a parkour guy with a rocket launcher mid-flip and so automatically on any rating system it gets at least three out of five well four out of five stars uh everything else is window dressing but yeah no i think i worked at the comic shop around the time punisher max was coming out but i'm not sure in any case i never read it but the punisher is like a huge blind spot for me I mean, it can be. I think you'd like all of the Garth Ennis stuff, so you would probably want to start with. Well, I'll, we can do these recommendations off off uh, thing. Yeah, we don't need to keep recommending this nasty, sick, freak stuff to our I fans. Will just say, it is, you know, it's the. First, I was trying to remember how the first arc, and yeah, the first arc of Punisher Max is the C, he the CIA starts like following him around because they basically they're like, you know, this guy would like we love this guy we just we don't want him to do this here we need to send him to like you know afghanistan and we Mm -hmm. think he'd be perfect over there and and you know one of the analysts the only one who ever says anything that makes sense is like no 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 no. you guys you do not under you think you can control this guy he's like you're still thinking of him like a soldier what you should be thinking about is this is just jeffrey dahmer whose particular victim class is you know big mooks with italian accents do you think um, the way he deals with the mob, he is known with like, I don't know if this is a real thing or not, like the anti-Italian defamation league or something like that. But like, you know, he coincidentally, he is killing mobsters, but really these are hate crimes. He is anti-Italian is what he's really up to. I mean, I think part of I think part of how they get around that actually, I'd never thought about this before, but it is revealed eventually. I'm always thinking about anti-Italian racism. That's just me. Well, he's Italian himself. Oh, he's he's he's, his name is his his American name is Frank Castle, but you find out it's actually uh, Frank Castellini. Okay, changed it when he joined the army to avoid. You know, because again, this series takes place in the actual uh, time frame. So at the start of the series, he's like already in his like mid to late fifties. Um, oh Jesus! 
Well, yeah, because he fought in the Vietnam War, and it's the well. I don't think about early two thousands. Well, I don't think about what time period it's actually taking place in, and so I but forget yeah. that when yes, he, he is aging into old elder grampy time. But yeah, he was he was basically young enough in the sixties that there was that like anti Italian racism was a real thing. So when he joined the army, he just changed his name legally. Yeah, yeah. Well. Hey, good for you, Castellini. Castle's good, too. You're a real castle freak. That's an unrelated property. Ah, Kyle, we did it. We talked about things we actually enjoy, and I feel like we washed off the stink of this. Again, not terrible. Well, I mean, terrible in the sense it was an effective episode, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it, at least. Hooray for that. Good for you, my man. Well, I guess we should leave this week by saying everyone go watch weird adult versions of your favorite um youth properties i think i i hear it's a real banger go watch winnie the pooh blood and honey everyone says it's the best movie ever and i if you could if you could get one character who's not in the public domain into the public domain to make a horror movie out of who would you pick Oh, God, this isn't a thoughtful answer, but the first thing that came to mind was Goofy. Um, But I'm... You hear from the shadows as the chainsaw revs up. Well, and I think, like, it'd be like a real dark Amelia Bedelia kind of situation where he's not meaning to kill you. He just can't help himself. And it's no less terrifying having this giant, you know friendly but nonetheless incredibly harmful nightmare man dog uh yeah tearing apart your home and and you know in ways that a cartoon could clearly survive but your family can't murdering them systematically so what about you oh fuck as it's often the case i asked you the question without actually having thought of my own answer see you in two weeks yeah Batman seems like he'd be a pretty good serial killer. You wouldn't want him, like, chasing you down. Yeah, no, Batman would be a real fucking nasty freak. In Especially... Fact, like, I'm sure someone, like... I, Well, I'm, I, maybe it's because it bombed, but, like, I remember there was that James Gunn movie that he didn't write. He just Super? It. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what it was called, but... Uh, was it the one with Rain Wilson? No, no, no. Oh. That movie's actually good. He produced a movie... That was just like, what if Super Superman was a psychopath? Like, not like the boys, but it's just like these parents who adopt this kid that they find in a rocket ship, and the kid, you know, hits puberty, and he suddenly starts acting real creepy. Um, and you know, and you know, basically, it turns out he's he's going to grow up to take over the world with his laser vision and stuff, and so he he becomes like a horror movie villain. But probably, if if that universe had kept going, they would have done next. They would have done like, what if Batman was some kind of monstrous, rich person who hunted people for sport? That yeah, would have been pretty good with the implicit support of the police. Ooh, ooh, yeah, I want to see that. Okay, guess what, everyone? Two weeks from now. Hey, thanks for listening. This has been a fun time. It's now going to be a, a Batman serial killer. Uh, improvised podcast every episode don't, don't tease them we would get if we could pull that off we would get so many more so many more listeners we could be so good if we actually had the stones or any kind of expertise to make something like that we just don't well you know i think there's nothing better than giving yourself unrealistic expectations and falling short of them to remind yourself that you should never try in the first place so let's do this thing baby baby